Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. We have EGC today, and we have Elevate today, so if you would like, first and second grade can go to... Elevate, third, fourth, and fifth grade can go to EGC. Sixth grade through miscellaneous can stay in here. And uh, we are going to, this, we're back in Sermon on the Mount this morning, and it lines up perfectly with baby dedication to talk about anger. And, uh, and MoDOT and the Cardinals also contributed to help prepare our hearts for this week. Um, so we're thankful for their help, giving us plenty of sermon illustrations. Uh, I do want to quickly let you know we are, uh, for, for refuge folk, we are, uh, during the month of May, we always give an offering for church plant. We support church plants with our regular, uh, with our regular budget. But this month we are taking an offering. We have supported Eric Freeman, who was a couple, here a couple weeks ago, uh, for his, the first three years of his plant, and we're going to start supporting Sean Boone, who was here last week. Uh, our goal is $5,000, and um, we want to raise that during May. And you can look. We, there's lots of different ministries that we support, including ministries in Uganda uh, and throughout the Middle East, um, from uh, Arab Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, we support inner city uh, work among minority church plants um, through the Creek Collective, training and equipping church planters through the Leaders Collective, all over the place. So in addition to our regular giving uh, that we already do, we're, we're tr- we want to raise more to help support that. So there's that. And that is not unrelated because today we're back in the Sermon on the Mount uh, that we're going to be in for a few weeks. And we're going to talk through this um, idea. Jesus uh, talks about ushering in this new kingdom, this kingdom of God. Now, I want to tell you, we're going to go a little bit out of order because the way this month lined up was just lots of fun. Uh, and we are not, next week, we're not going to talk about lust on Mother's Day. We're going to push that to the graduation Sunday. <laughs> next week, next week, we're going to talk about oaths, which is going to be just, uh, it could be just as bad. Um, if you've ever been a parent and said, this time I mean it, Get ready. So we'll, we'll deal with all that then. All right. Uh, but this week we're going to talk about anger. It just all lined up perfectly. Um, and Jesus is talking about ushering in this new kingdom. And he's going to explain how this new economy works inwardly. So the first set, we've gone through that passage a couple of times of how this works inwardly. Uh, and then he's going to get into this set of teachings of you heard it said, but I tell you. And what he's going to do, he's going to talk about our relationship with the law and what does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be right, to be acceptable, to pass scrutiny? We all have a definition that we, that we put out there of what it means to be right. Um, and so Jesus is going to give us this new definition. What does it look like to be right with God? Uh, and the more that I've been reading this it, and, and studying this, it's been really helpful for me. It's been fascinating. It's been life-giving. It's provided some clarity on various concepts that I have kind of known but have struggled with. And whereas we still have the mystery of God, uh, this has been helpful in clarifying some of these things. And I, and I hope and pray that it is helpful for you this morning. 
Last year as a church, we went through the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, this is when God gives the people, gives his people the law. And we talked about how unique that is in ancient history for a God to make himself known and to give this law. And the law is an invitation for God to be known. And it's critical that we understand that Jesus is not abolishing this law. And he's not saying, you know what? None of that matters. Now I just want you to love me. The law, Jesus says, I have not come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. But it doesn't mean it doesn't apply anymore. He gives us new eyes to see. And when Jesus teaches, he's going to bring the law into play. You need to know this. And then when his disciples go and they teach other people, not just Jews, but Gentiles, they bring the law, they bring the Hebrew scriptures into play. So it's not like we just look at that and go, ah, that doesn't matter anymore. Now we have this. The law is intact this whole time. So we can't just dismiss it, but we're given new eyes to see. When God gave the law, he gave it as the hope to form and fashion a people. He did not simply give it as a list of rules and technicalities to follow. All right? Uh, and if we don't understand that, and the default of our brains is that we won't understand this, it takes God's mercy and grace, but we're going to miss a lot. It was never God's design to simply give a, t a checklist. I've told this is one of my favorite stories of all time. I know I've told it before, but it, it, I, I love this illustration. My freshman and senior year of college, there's a long story about sophomore and junior year, uh, I went to a small Baptist school in Bolivar, Missouri, and I played intramural basketball with friends. Uh, and my senior year, I'm not a good basketball player. I can do two things well. I can rebound and I can talk trash. Uh, I got teed up for blocking out by a youth parent when I was in seminary. I was a youth minister. I was the youth minister there, and a youth parent teed me up in seminary. For, I was really good at blocking out, too. So um, I just thrown that in there. But uh, so my friend Mark received a pass, and you heard a pop. And it's the kind of noise, yes, you have the sympathy pain, right? It's the kind of noise, if you've ever been on a gym floor, and you've heard that pop, you know that noise. And everybody goes, ah! It's the jammed finger. And my friend, Mark, let go with a very loud word, a word that you cannot say at least that loud at a small Baptist university <laughs> in Bolivar, Missouri. Our friend Ryan, who was the ref, teed him up, gave him a technical foul. You can't cuss at a small Baptist school in Bolivar, Missouri. And a miracle occurred. It was incredible. It was incredible. Immediately, the pain seemed to go away. And my friend Mark began his defense. No, 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 no. You can cuss if you get hurt. It's in the rule book. It was incredible. The pain went away. And they went over to the uh, table and they pulled out the rule book. <laughs> and began to look at the technicalities of when it was okay to say a loud cuss word during an intramural basketball game at a small Baptist university in Bolivar, Missouri. This had become the way that the law was being interpreted by the scribes and the Pharisees. And if we're honest, 
This is still the way we do it in our day. It was rules and technicalities. We may call this the religious way. You do these things and you don't do these things, right? Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date the girls that do. And that's what makes you a Christian, what you do and what you don't do. And this misses the whole point of why God gave the law. He gave us the law to form us and fashion us as a people, not as a list of rules and technicalities. Jesus has entered the scene. He will accomplish all that we need. He's going to talk about this new kingdom. And ultimately, this has always been God's kingdom, but Jesus is ushering in and helping us understand the law. He's going to model for us. He's going to be an example for us of what does it look like to live this out. And perhaps just important, he's also going to tell us what it doesn't look like to live this out. Um, And furthermore, he is going to fulfill the law on our behalf, freeing those who follow Jesus, those who trust Jesus, freeing us from having to measure out our righteousness by rules and technicalities. In fact, Jesus is going to tell us that if we're going to measure our righteousness in these rules and technicalities, and if that's the way we're going to operate, we're not, even gonna, we're not even talking about the kingdom of God. We've missed it entirely. We're talking about really how the rest of mankind operates. Um, so that's the setup. Now we're going to get into this teaching in Matthew 5, 21. All right, and I'm going to refer back to a thing that we did a couple weeks before Easter. Uh, so if you weren't here, it's okay. But for those who are here, just the, the, ethics, that Jesus, the ethics of Jesus. I want to refer to this as Jesus brings this into play here. He starts off, you've heard it said, okay? These are ethics from above. This is the law. You've heard it said, you've heard it taught, God has written down, um, do not murder, all right? We, We could all agree on that one, right? You don't have to be religious. You don't have to be a Christian. We would all say, do not murder is good rule. It's a good rule of thumb. Um, and... That's not just Christianity. Almost every ancient religion had uh, something about murdering and and not to do it. And this is scripture. And Jesus is not questioning scripture. He's not dismissing it. Uh, What he is going to do is he is going to correct the religious ethics in the ways that they have interpreted the law by technicalities. So he's going to correct that on how it should be interpreted. So you've heard it said, but I tell you, this is ethics from below, from wisdom. How does this work in, in, uh, with the ways of God in the world? Verse 22, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. All right. This has ethics from above, you've heard it said, ethics from below, wisdom, and it contains some ethics from beyond, the warning. This is where this will lead. All right, now, everybody freeze your thoughts. All right? Everybody capture your thoughts right now. Take a screenshot. All right. We just got done talking about, this is not about technicalities and rules and following the law about not murdering. How many of us went right back to technicalities when he says, but I tell you, don't be angry? So we say, okay, all right. 
don't murder. I think I can handle that, all right? But it's not about just following the rules, okay? Right, now, don't be angry. Oh, okay. So now you're telling me that I can't murder, and not beyond that, I can't even, I can't be angry. So now, if you really follow Jesus, then the whole goal is to try to not be angry. But, but, what about when I get hurt? Right? What about when, my, when I pop a finger with a basketball? I get angry about that. Jesus is going to tell us over and over again, if you're going to try to follow the law, law that way, if we're going to try to say these are the rules I'm following and these are the ones I like and don't like and, this is, and, and all the technicalities, um, if we're going to dismiss the to-do list and then fill it in with an even bigger to-do list, we're using the wrong measurements. We're on the wrong scale. And Jesus is going to tell us, this is the measurements of the scribes and Pharisees, and it's not the way God's kingdom works. God's law is going to guide you and shape you into what and who you are to become. But if we look at the law as a way to justify ourselves or to prove that we're doing it right, it will fail us every time just like it failed the scribes and the Pharisees. However, if we are following Jesus, trusting Jesus, have trusted him for forgiveness, then the law has been fulfilled, and its purpose is to shape you and guide you, to shape us. Does that make sense? The, the messianic ethics of Jesus here that fourth one that kind of brings everything together, it turns this whole thing around. The kingdom of God is not about self-justification. It's not about when technically you can be angry or is this a sin or is this not a sin? At what point did we pass over into that you know, sinful area? Or just the great, like, just don't be angry. Right? Which is usually a great help, he says sarcastically. Uh, it's about reconciliation. The kingdom of God is about reconciliation. It's not this measurement over here. It's a totally different way. So, with all this in tow, let's examine anger. I'm going to tell you something. I do not believe that scripture says, don't be angry, that you can't be angry, or that it's a sin to be angry. Now, even in this passage, now, if there's, there's some covering here, if you get before Jesus and he's like, your pastor lied to you, you can blame me, all right? You can go and say, well, our pastor told us, and he'd be like, I know. Um, <laughs> I don't think scripture teaches not to be angry. Stoicism teaches not to be angry. Stoicism says just subdue all emotion and be, and be numb, think you're hard-pressed to actually find that in Scripture. It's become an interpretation of Scripture. But I tell you, I don't think that's right. Even in this passage, <clears throat> there are things that we should be angry about. There are things in this world that we should be angry about, and if you haven't read it yet, you're going to read it today. There are things in this world that we should be angry about. Injustice, death, the brokenness of the world. These are things that we should be 
angry about. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus encounters a leper, and the leper breaks all the social rules, and he comes up to Jesus and says, and says, Son of David, if you're willing, make me clean. And then Jesus looks at him and is moved, and the word in ESV is translated, he's moved with pity, but that's also translated, he's moved with anger, he's moved with compassion, he's indignant. Lots of different words there. The Greek word is, uh, is uh, splagnitsumai, and, and it's hard to translate that word directly because it, it contains various emotions. And the two emotions that it contains most prominently are compassion and anger. Jesus is moved by compassionate anger or angry compassion. He's motivated to action by his anger. And it's safe to say he's not angry at the leper. I think it's way deeper than that. I think he is angry at the brokenness and sinfulness of the world. He's got self-righteous people over here. He's got sickness and illness and death. He's got people that are like, he was supposed to yell out unclean. He did not follow the rules. All of this stuff around him, I think, made him angry. But he's moved with angry compassion. And he reaches out his hand. He says, I'm willing, be clean. Anger can move us to action. Anger can reveal the things that we care about and we care deeply about and the answer of well you just need to stop being angry it's as if to say well you just need to stop caring I would venture to say that's not helpful but it's also not a blank check like everything good that God designs it can be good and it can be painful God presents himself as fire fire is light it's warmth it's good but if you mess with it if it gets out of hand, if you treat it without reverence, it's not good. Same thing with anger. It can, it can move us to compassionate action, but it can also move us to pride, self-justification, rage, dehumanizing judgment of others, and yes, even murder. But it's not a matter of if we are going to be angry. It is a matter of what we do with that. Where do we take that? Have you ever felt angry about something and then you kind of go through this internal dialogue and you're like, that's really dumb. I shouldn't be angry about that. I, I, that's, I just need to let that go. Why am I angry about that? Anybody? You've done that, right? And you're like, that's stupid. Now, shame, is not, shame can work in powerful ways, but it's not a great way to help deal with Shame, right? Um, but at least there's kind of an internal dialogue where we, if we see something, we're like, this is not a justice issue. I probably just need to get over that, right? It kind of forces us to deal with this. But what about when you're angry and you're right? What about when you're angry and you're justified in your anger? There's this dialogue with... Jonah at the end of Jonah where God's like, do you do right to be angry? And Jonah goes, yeah, I do right to be angry. <laughs> like he's repeating right back to God. And then God grows a plant and then takes the plant away. Whole fun thing with, jo with Jonah there. Um, when you're right and you're angry, with all the problems in the world right now, I think one of the greatest issues that we face, that I face, uh, is that we in America are vitriolic, 
We are a vitriolic and angry people. We are angry about a lot, religiously and irreligiously. It goes across the board, on the right and on the left. And I think the most dangerous part about this is on all sides, it's kind of been made a badge of righteousness to be consumed with anger. That's where I get in trouble doing pastoral counseling. I want people to be okay expressing anger. I get it. I see it. I want them to feel a freedom to be angry at things, even angry at God himself, at things that they should be angry about. But if we don't deal with it, it will, it will destroy us. It will. Stand-up comedians in our day are cultural prophets. Um, and uh, there's a comedian, his name is Zoltan Cassius, right? He is Hungarian, and he taught, he's a millennial, so he can rip on millennials. I'm not, so I'm using his quotes, all right? Uh, I'm Gen X. We got our own issues. Uh, but nobody cares. All right. So he talks about how he loves millennials, but if he has one critique about millennials, it's they, they know themselves too well. Everybody knows exactly what's wrong. Everybody's able to look and diagnose their problems, but nobody's getting any better. He said, everyone my age has anxiety. Every friend he has comes up and says, I have anxiety. And he goes, oh man, well, well what are you doing about it? And they go, well, nothing. I'm telling you so that you have to walk around it. And he's like, man, come on, you're halfway there. You got such an important step. You realize the problem. Now, like, you got to do something. And I've heard it put another way. Um, if somebody trips you and breaks your arm, they do it on purpose. They trip you and break their, your arm. No amount of punishment that they endure, no amount of fines, or they could be hauled off to jail, none of that will heal your arm. That's on you. And we say, well, that's not fair. That won't heal your arm. I know. But you have to, you have to deal with it. You're the one that has to, to, to heal. And with anger, especially when we're justified to be angry, if it's not de dealt with, it can be poison. Jesus walks us through stages. He warns this is how anger starts, and this is how it increases. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Some translations put in that first statement, whoever's uh, angry with his brother without cause. Uh, it's not there originally. Some will say it's implied. Um, I don't think it makes the whole point, but others say you're trying to soften the words of Jesus here. I kind of go with that last one. Uh, to be angry is step one. It happens. It's a good warning sign. If everybody goes home and watches Inside Out, you'll notice that the character in Inside Out, Anger, never asks permission to come to the, to the control panel. He just puts down the paper and goes. Anger's a good warning sign. It's the check engine light, which you know if you don't deal with that in the first 20,000 miles, <laughs> eventually, right? So it's a good warning sign. Whoever then takes that anger and makes an insult, starts to make judgment statements, it starts to dehumanize, you look down on the other person, and then the final blow, whoever says raka, 
Raka is almost impossible to interpret in our language. It, most translations say fool. I did see one translation that said uh, numbskull. <laughs> I thought, well, I, I don't know. That may have been accurate like 60 years ago. Uh, that needs to be updated. I'm pretty sure it doesn't mean numbskull. Um, but uh, the, the point of it, it's a derogatory statement. It's a judgment statement that distinguishes them from you. They are lesser. Not even what they're doing is lesser. They are lesser, and I am greater. That's self-righteousness, that's pride, and that's where we get to dangerous territory. Jesus says, you move beyond judgment, insults into this so quickly, and you're messing with the very pits of hell. Now, the word hell here is Gehenna. It's an actual location outside of Jerusalem that where they burn fire. And in, and in apparently in ancient days, before the days of Jesus, that was the place where child sacrifices were made. And so it's, the, the point is, it is a nasty place. Is this talking about eternal damnation? I'm not, I'm not convinced that it is uh, in this particular time. But the point for sure is, a life that is flooded with anger and judgment that turns to self-righteousness is a life that is already on the brink of hell. It's one of my biggest fears when it comes to kind of this cultural easy activism in our day uh, with self-justified anger. We're being fed over and over and over again to deem ourselves righteous and those who disagree with us evil. And please don't think that Christians don't do this. We've been doing this for a long time, right? For Christian circles, we simply judge others. They're sinners, they're heretics, they're liberals. Those who disagree with us. In activist circles, those who disagree with us are bigots, they're hateful, they're intolerant, or the worst condemnation of all, they don't love. Nobody wants to be that. We need to love people. Those idiots don't love people. You picking up on the irony? All right. And our enemy, who ultimately will be defeated, but he seems to be winning a few rounds by getting us bitter and angry and resentful toward everyone and everything, and our present world has normalized this and is convincing us that this is good. If you're not Raka, you're not paying attention. And it's convincing us that outrage is the new righteousness. The messianic ethic of Jesus is different. It's about reconciliation. The way of reconciliation is hard. It's the way of the crucifixion. But it's also the way of resurrection. It takes the ways that we were wronged and says, I will count the cost. I will pay the price for your wrongs because this is what my Savior has done for me. Now, I want this to be understood. This does not forego earthly justice. But we need to be very careful on slippery, on slippery slope here that we do not equate justice with vengeance. As Rachel Dawes beautifully puts it in Bats Batman Begins, Justice is about harmony, 
Vengeance is just about you making yourself feel better. It's costly to forgive, but it is the way of Jesus. In fact, it's the only way of Jesus, and it is only the way of Jesus. We're going to get further into the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to, see, we're going to get this tricky line that says, with the judgment you use on others, you will be judged. To forgive is to know forgiveness. And to be forgiven is to learn how to forgive. So here's the deal. The solution is not to just stop being angry. Just don't be angry. Like if you leave today and go, all right, do my best not to be angry. I don't know if you guys have been outside yet today, but it's hot and humid. Angry season is coming. Uh, so that, that just doesn't, that doesn't work. The answer is the way of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you now, we can be delivered, but it also takes lots and lots of practice. It doesn't just solve the problem. You don't just go, oh, I trust Jesus. Now I'm not angry anymore. That, that doesn't work. But what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection, he gives us a place to take this every single time over and over and over again. So here's what I want to do. I want to, and, and we'll go pretty quickly here, I want to walk through a time of reflection. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you kind of get settled in your mind. And if, if babies are crying, it's okay. This is life. When Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount, I have to believe there were children running around, there were babies crying, and he probably didn't try to lead a prayer of examine, but it was going to be distracted anyway. Um, uh, but just, so for you as the follower of Jesus, if you're here this morning, this is not you. I mean, participate, and maybe the Holy Spirit works in you and softens your heart. Uh, but I will encourage you still to examine your anger and where you take it. Um, but for the follower of Jesus, how do we forgive, especially when we might be in the right? So settle your heart and mind. If you want to close your eyes, you can. If you want to take notes, you can. If you want to kind of write some things down, but um, let's ask God to make his presence known. He is here with his people and his love endures forever. So let me ask this question. What are events or the people in your life that are a frustration right now? When you think about these things or these people, you can feel anger rising. Kind of make a quick mental list. And don't think you can't include yourself on that list. Got to learn to love our enemies. Walk through each of these names or these circumstances and ask this question, is this anger justified? Or am I, am I being picky? Am I being selfish? God, give us grace to let go of the areas where we are simply high maintenance, where we're either out of line or just heavily influenced by a consumer world around us 
that tells us that we are the center of the universe. For the situations that are hard or wrong or unjust or painful, that, are, that these situations that are making us angry, for the way the world is, if you bring those to mind, I want to invite you to bring your lament before God. Lament is a complaint. You are invited to actually complain to God when the world is not as it should be. Bring these, uh, ask him to move, to take action, and then ask for faith to trust him. God, we bring our lament before you. There are things in this world that we do not like, circumstances that we want you to change. And what we are asking from you, that you've promised, ultimately, peace, healing, health, the end of suffering. We ask that you would bring justice, In the areas where it's possible, move our hearts to compassionate action. In the areas that it's not possible, move our hearts to trust you. You are good, and we do trust that. Make us and make our motives to be lights in a dark and broken world. the ones where I have been wronged. Take time to name what has been done to you. And I want to tell you, if, this is, if, this, if we're wading into waters that need special guidance, that need a, somebody to walk through this with you, uh, you don't have to do this exercise. And if you want to talk more or email or whatever, uh, we can help make that happen. But to ask the question, what has been done to you? What is the pain that it has caused? What would it cost you to forgive? And if you're ready to start a process of reconciliation, to be able to say, what is step one? And then we have to turn this inwardly. Where have I wronged others? Where have I acted out of my hurt toward others? Where do I need forgiveness?
Let me pray this over us. Jesus, help us to see that to be angry is not bad in and of itself, but it can be dangerous, and it is certainly not the answer. You were angry at sin and injustice, but you did not hold it against us. Jesus, you did not hold it against me. By your blood, I have been forgiven. By your stripes, I have been healed. So Jesus, let me seek justice, but not vengeance. Vengeance is yours. Give me a vision to put my arm around the brother or sister who has wounded me and plead on their behalf. You know their hurts. You know their wounds. You know the things that destroy them. So I'm asking that you would bring even my enemies reconciliation and peace as you bring me peace as well. God, help me forgive. I need your grace not to be held captive by this hurt, but to be freed from the chains that seem to bind me over and over and over again. Help me to forgive because you, Jesus, Lord of all creation, by your death and by your resurrection, have forgiven me. Free me from my anger. Let me trust in you alone. In the glorious name of Jesus, amen. All right, here's your practice for this week. Search the areas of your life where you see anger at work. Ask the Holy Spirit to make known what parts of your anger are justice and what parts are vengeance. What could be about the righteousness of God and things that are not right that need to be made right? And which parts are about self-righteousness and us holding on and wanting to be, kind of have a sense of power? And then ask Jesus to help us understand our anger and release it to him, to move us with compassionate action where possible, to help us remember his grace and forgiveness in every part of life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we ask for healing, and in a day and age where we are filled with rage, uh, I pray that you would free us from that, not to be indifferent. God forbid we would be indifferent. But to be full participants of life and yet ready to seek grace and forgiveness, that the way of Jesus is reconciliation, and that that and that one day the whole world will be reconciled to you. So may we walk in confidence and in hope, trusting you, dealing with our stuff. In Jesus' name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.